Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're speaking with Michael, who founded The Man Who Rescues Dogs a Thailand organization established in 2011 to help street dogs who had no one else to rely on. And please stay tuned for this episode because he gives such wonderful business tips for rescues out there to use. Let's jump in. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hi, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you, Bridget. I mean, we're so honored to, to meet the man that rescues dogs. Grammatically, it's wrong spelling also, the man that rescues dogs. But I blame that on the Swedish school system. Well, it should be the man who rescues dogs. But if you put that in a hashtag, it doesn't look good. The man who rescues dogs. Definitely. Well, so tell us, so how did you get into rescuing animals? So I've been living in Thailand uh, since 2002. When I moved here, I wasn't really interested in the dogs at all. They were just something you saw on the streets here because there's a lot of stray dogs here. And in 2011, I had a restaurant here in Thailand, and the dog showed up on the backside of the restaurant. Very bad shape, very skinny, a lot of wounds, infections. And uh, she just looked me in my eyes and said, feed me. I need help. And I did that. And she came back every, you see the lights? (laughs) She came back every afternoon at 5 o'clock. So I fed her. And then I started getting involved in a local dog rescue and helped them. That was the start, 2011. That like reminds me, just like that whole picture kind of reminds me of like Lady in the Tramp when the dog comes back to the restaurant and he's asking for food. I don't know why that parallel, but that's so sweet. It kind of like help just came to you. Well, she, she knocked on the right door. Huh? At that time, and so I, I got involved in, in the local dog rescue where I lived there and we were feeding dogs in the streets and I managed to open or build a small sanctuary, a shelter, where we took in some dogs that people complained about. When I moved here, I lived in one place, and I moved away from this place for two years, and then I moved back to the place I started to when I moved the first time in 2002. So in 2012, I moved back to this place, and I started small feeding. I opened my own restaurant that time, 2012. So I started feeding the dogs on the streets and on the way from my home to my restaurant, and then in the forest. And, and then it just, I did a route, feeding route. I did that every day. And the total was at 80 dogs. 2016, I was working alone, uh, mostly feeding. I invited some municipalities to invite their veterinarians to do some spay and neuters. But it was most, in 2016, there was a clip on Facebook that went viral. The clip was made by Neusner in Sweden. They were also connected with Animal Bible. It was the name at that time, Animal Bible. So in one month, this clip where I just fed the dogs on the streets got reached to 100 million people in one month. That was impressive. So And then we started to get more donations. And we decided to rent a house and take in more dogs. And we hired staff to work with the dogs. So... So that was in 2016. And then I closed my restaurant in 2018. I couldn't do everything. I had, my restaurant was very good. We were up and running. I had two sittings every day. It was me working alone in the kitchen, baking bread, and did all the food and preparations. And then I rescued dogs at the same time. So I couldn't do both. 
And the fact that also that I had a stroke in 2014 that was stress-related. So I closed my restaurant and I concentrated on the dogs. So from one dog in 2011 to 700 dogs now, two, fund, uh, two registered foundations, one in Sweden, one in Thailand, working close to the municipality, the province, also attending meetings on government uh, level. I have 25 staff. I have a free-of-charge clinic. We have two veterinarians. We have three construction workers. We're expanding. Yeah, so, so on one dog. That's an insane amount of growth. That's so much that you've done in such a small portion of time, I feel like. This happened probably most of it in, from 2017 that we took over the local pound. And I do want to ask, so in, in Thailand, I know that the stray population of animals is incredibly large. Is there a specific kind of, I want to say like medical case that you usually see? Is there a certain like illness or, or problem that you're seeing more often in the pets that you rescue? I always ask that just depending on, I mean, like countries and, and everywhere is a little bit different, but what, what is it like in Thailand? Most, let's say that when we take in a dog from the streets, the 95 or 97%, they have blood parasites and that's uh, caused by ticks. That's so normal. And it's kind of easily to treat. We have a, it's an antibiotic named doxycycline and we give it for at least 30 days. Now the recommend 45 days. That's most common. Then um, traffic accidents, that's a lot. We have uh, TBT cancer. That's also spread widely because it's, it's sexual transmitted. And uh, so it's blood parasite, TBT, road accidents, injuries from fights between dogs. And also sometimes people are, do the dogs harm, like throwing boiling water on them, cut them with knives. That's shocking. I mean, I feel like... We see so many abuse cases, but it sounds like there's just so many accidental cases over there. I know a lot of people have a hard time dealing with the idea that there are just street dogs and there's not a lot that can be done to to remedy the, the street dog population and the situation there. I'm wondering if you could maybe speak to that about how what a life of a street dog looks like, why you can't take them in in every case. I think that the life of the stray dogs, usually they have, if they are living on the streets from either when they are born or when they get dumped, they, their average life span is like two to three years only. And um, well, well, of course, spay and neuter. That's number one. Even Because here in Thailand, they let the dogs roam free. Even if they have owners, they roam freely around the area and they don't spay and neuter. And then they... Uh, the mom, they get pregnant and then they dump the puppies. Dump the puppies in the forest or and then leave it to us instead of bringing the mom to us and we spay for free. So they're dumping the problem, so to speak, on other people and on us. And the first thing is spay and neuter. And we're working with that a lot, as much as we can. We do at least three to four animals a day in our clinic. We have a queue now, a waiting list for about a month. So that's why we need to expand the clinic and hire more veterinarians. We also do a monthly, uh, maybe two days a month, a campaign in the local area where we do uh, 20 dogs per day. Right now we have put on a hold because donations is not enough. And I need to make sure that we have enough money to care for our dogs first. Definitely. I mean, totally free spay and neuter. I mean, it's unheard of. That's amazing. Everything is free of charge in our clinic. It makes it so incredibly easy, I feel like, to take care of 
maybe not even like your own animal, but to take care of it, like a stray animal or things like that. It just makes makes everything so easily accessible. I think they calculate about 2 million stray dogs in Thailand and maybe a, a few more with owners that roam freely. But let's say that there's 70 million people in Thailand. Let's say it's 20 million families. If 10% of these families took in one dog each, spay neuter and care for them, then the stray dog population will be none. But I think that we are, we're doing a lot of meetings, you know, with, uh, first of all, locally and the province, and try to make the municipalities to work with more closely with us and not work against us. I, I'm, I'm very lucky that I live in a, in a municipality where the mayor is a good friend of mine since 18 years, and him and his family support us a lot. We have a very good relationship. That, that helps a lot. It's a win-win-win for a while. Us, the municipality, and the dogs. So what is it like there right now? How is it with COVID and everything in that regard? Well, we have, uh, when, when the government here speak, people listen and they do it. Also, no, we don't have uh, many cases. I think it's not even 4,000 cases. There have been 58 deaths since it started. And also the culture here in, in, in Southeast Asia, you, usually you don't have you don't shake hands. You do the why. You have the, you keep the distance ready. Also, when people are sick, they use the face mask anyway. They've been for years. And if you compare this to you know, Europe, where everybody should cuddle and hug and shake hands and kiss it on the cheeks, there's more cases there. And um, well, if you have a leader like your leader, so so you know it, it, it's it's not a lot, but it affects us. As I said, donations is down. I think we have lost about forty percent in donations compared to the three first months to this quarter. And then we don't have any volunteers. We don't rely on volunteers, but it's fun to have them here. And they, they post on social media. We get the attention from their friends. And then we don't have so many. We get a few more visitors now locally, and they donate food. So, But it's down. It's tough. It's a little bit tough. So, but that's, that's my job, to make sure that we get the donations we need. And I haven't let any staff go. And we haven't said no to any dogs because of this. So hopefully we don't have to. And you said right now um, you have, you said 700 dogs in your care right now. Would you say a majority of those are going to live out their lives in sanctuary? Or how, I guess, what's the timeline of you having a dog and, and perhaps finding a home for it or treating it and, and, you know, and placing it? What's that timeline? Well, if you're taking a dog, it depends on what kind of uh, problem or, or health problem they have. It depends on, but we, we have a quarantine area where there are eight rooms and the, the rooms are two by five meter. And so they, they're full. We are full. We cannot take in one. So that decides if we're going to do a rescue or not. And they are healthy there. They will be there four to six weeks, fully uh, vaccinated and spayed and neutered. And then they'll go into the shelter. And then it depends on how cute they are and how the size. That Unfortunately, so what we do is when we have now, we have 20 puppies and we have started spaying new to them now. So as soon as that, you know, snipped, we will take pretty pictures, post them and find home. And we do only adoptions locally. We don't send any dogs abroad because the situation in almost all other countries, they have stray dogs that needs home. So if you want to rescue a dog, go to your local shelter and rescue from there. It makes you the same hero as you rescue a dog from Thailand. They need you more. They need you also, you know. So, so this is, so we, 
Yeah, we don't send. I have sent a few dogs abroad, but that was 2016, the last time, four years ago, three, four years ago, yeah. So let's say that, let's say they stay in the shed because we are so good, they never die. They live forever, you know. We, they die of age, and, and the age, if they stay here, they, they're like, well, we haven't had this more than three years, but we had uh, one died uh, one week ago, and, and she was 12 years old, but with kidney problems. So it, we, if we have a, a very severe case, and um, sometimes they die because of, of it's a, such a severe case. We always try to make them good, feel healthy. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who follows you on Facebook can see that. I feel like all your cases, it's clear that you're taking in every dog that needs help and helping them in as much as in much a way as you can. We do that. We have. Um, I have a policy that we don't cross the province border to rescue a dog. We don't need that. We have two hundred thousand stray dogs in the province where we operate and just in the area where we operate is like maybe 10,000 dogs in, in there's like five or six uh, municipalities. So we don't cross the border. We don't need that. If our dogs in our community is not healthy, then we're doing wrong. You know, if you go to Bangkok and, and rescue dogs and a dog suffering just in the neighborhood, then we do wrong. It's the same when you, when you rehome the dogs. If I was to send all my dogs over to America, for example, and then 500 dogs in the shelters, they're suffering. I think rescue locally, adopt locally. That's what we work on. I feel like most rescues believe that. And it's sort of like you're looking out for all the rescues in every other location by doing that. You're staying local and so that they can um, distribute their animals and, and work in their own community in a better way. Yeah, there are a few rescues here. I mean, Soy Dog Foundation work in a different way. I'm, I'm, I respect them also. This is my choice. And I don't look down on them if they do that. It's, it's their decisions. You know, but my decision is my decision. And I respect them and they do a great job. I love that. We see so much the caddy side of rescue. So people being respectful of one another is very refreshing. You don't need to rescue a dog to th- from Thailand to save a life. Because I feel like so many people, sometimes they see these viral videos of pets in different countries or somewhere that's, not anywhere near them. And they feel this impulse to rescue that specific dog because it maybe went viral. They saw the page, but maybe they don't realize that you can still save a life in your local area. You can still go to a shelter or a rescue nearby and you can make the same difference. A life is a life is a life. There was a dog, um, maybe about one and a half, two years ago, he was missing his back legs and he was, it went viral on Facebook. He was eating, he was standing on his front legs and it looked like his skin was hanging on the back, no legs, and it was rough, it was dirty and so on. And people from all over the world, they wanted, I want to fly in, I want to take that dog and go home. And then he had a family and he was fine. It was just that clip that it was heartbreaking. So people all over the world wanted to rescue him. And then the Kings, there's a foundation here in Thailand called the Fufu Foundation. It's the King's old dog that passed away and he started a foundation to help other rescues and stray dogs. So they stepped in with food and medical care and everything. So the dog was fine. And then, so I, I have a few dogs we have amputated back, back legs. We have one dog named Speedy. So I also posted that and said, look at this dog. This dog has no back legs either. Who are you that, you know, you offer to, to fly in and take him back home? Come on, come on here. Help us out now. No, nothing. So it's, it's more like, that. of course, you, you, you feel that, you see that, you want to help, but you can help locally. 
There's many other dogs there. You do the same. You be the hero for them locally. It's just as fine. You're the hero. Yeah, I mean, certainly we've seen our fair share of dogs who are balancing on their front paws. And I think a lot of people also are so kind and empathetic and they feel so terrible for the dog. But a lot of times, a lot of the videos are after they've healed and they're actually totally fine and they're plenty happy and they don't actually need anyone to intervene at that point. It's like they've learned to adapt. So you said you had a stroke because of stress. Do you feel less stressed now (laughs) that you've moved away from a restaurant? Was it the restaurant that gave you all the stress? My private life at that time. Let's say I'm single now. I'm less stressed, if you understand what I'm saying. I think the combination of that, yes. I'm a man that highly devoted to what I'm doing. I have a high ambition. I have a high drive. I warm people out because of that. So I need to calm down and stress down. So, you know, the, the thing is that I'm quite extreme when I do things. When I, 2002, I, I moved there. I was drinking a lot before. I, I worked in the restaurant business as a chef. I stopped drinking in 2004. But when I did drink, very extreme. 2002, I moved here uh, in Sweden. I took a lot of drugs, very extreme. So when I moved here, I stopped that. But you see, hey, you see my tattoos? You know, that's extreme. I have 700 dogs, that's extreme. So when I work, I do it very extreme and that's dangerous. So when I got a stroke, I got a reminder to slow down. And I did a decision to close my restaurant because I, I couldn't stop working with the dogs, but I could stop working with the kitchen, the restaurant. I can always fall back on that. So anyway, now I'm, I'm 53 soon. I'm sober, uh, 700 dogs. Nobody want to date me. I have no friends. Well, yeah, especially I don't want anyone. I, I don't want anyone with dogs. If you, you want to date me, no, more, no dogs, please. No, I, I do. Um, as I said, the, the stroke there, I woke up one morning. I was feeling fine. I went out with my dogs. I started to call them in and I mixed up their names. I had no idea why. I went home and I went to my work. I spoke to my staff. I couldn't make a sentence. I couldn't make a sentence. I made, I started to speak German. I don't even know German, German language. So in Thai, German, English, numbers, and well, my man, oh. It took almost six months until I could talk again. And then it took one year until I was fully, so I could talk again. I have 25 excellent staff and they all know what they should do and what they do, the, the work. I have a, a friend of mine, Chris. He was volunteering with us in 2018. He went back home to America and he worked for a year. And then he came back here in January. He brought his dog. He resigned from this job and he's working with me. And he's my assistant, my buddy here. So he's doing a lot of work. And that makes me can be able to have days off. Before, I couldn't have that. I was working six years every day, nonstop for six years. Amazing. It's, it really speaks to how passionate you are. And, and obviously, I mean, that's inspiring other people and they're kind of twisting their life around and being like, you know what? I was happier back there. That's so wonderful to see. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay now. I'm, I'm, as I, say, I wake up at five every morning, start to work, have a coffee, walk my dogs, come back and I, I do a lot of computer work and then walk around, see the dogs into the clinic, care unit, meetings with staff. So I work, I take a nap, but around 11 for one hour. Then I wake up, do it again. And then I um, maybe work until nine in the evening. But it's, it's not stressful. It's okay. 
Yeah, fulfilling. Definitely. And I know you just mentioned your care unit. I feel like that's something that really stood out to me. I mean, just seeing that many animals in wheelchairs. I mean, when you're adopting a dog, it obviously is is a bit of a can feel like a lot to take on when you're adopting one dog in a wheelchair. But there you are with a literal herd of wheelchair dogs. We do walk them twice a day. So in the morning, the staff start work at 5.30 and they prepare the dogs in the wheelchairs and then they running. We also have 10 dogs with distemper that have entered the central nervous system. And we have a few very old dogs. We have a few blind dogs. So we walk this every morning and we walk again also in the afternoon. And you need to do that because when you are as a dog handicapped or paralyzed, you still have the energy in here, in the brain, in the head. But if you cannot, you get frustrated. So that's why they when they run. So we open the gate and they just take off. It's so fun to see. And they fight also. I mean, they fight with each other also sometimes. So Yeah, it definitely doesn't hold them back. I feel like all the... The images I saw, all the photos were just like of the happiest dogs I've ever seen. I know people don't like to talk about this because it feels, I don't know, dirty, but like you have a really solid following on Facebook. I mean, it's silly at this point. Um, We've learned, uh, Sydney and I have seen that there's no trick to get that, especially if you want a really like solid quality following, you have to build it with time. I'm wondering since we do have so many rescues who are kind of just starting out, who are one in two people trying to get their footing, what would you say are some great tips to grow a community? First of all, I think that, and maybe this sounds strange in some people's ears, but I do think that you should run your foundation as a business. If you are not a businessman or a businesswoman, you should hand that position to somebody that knows about business. Because... I mean, the product, if we call it that, is healthy dogs, healthy and happy dogs. You see results. What we are showing is results. So you as a contributor or sponsor or donor, you want to see a result. It's like you buying, you invest in something you believe in. If you see this happening, you will continue. If you sponsor me or my foundation and nothing happens, you will stop. So it's not only the... I mean, I love dogs. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm, I would be crazy. But I need to run it as a business. You need to have a budget. You need to have an emergency fund. You need to have PR money. You need this and that. You need to contact bigger sponsors and selling the product, which is healthy and happy dogs. And a clean place, you know, where the dogs are having enough space to walk around, not sitting in cages all days long. So the tip is, First of all, that look at what you can do and not do more than you are able of and or have the funds for. Because if you start something and you like say you've taken 50 dogs and you're a bad business person and you're failing in everything you do and, and sooner or later you don't have money for food. That's a big mistake, you know. So so that's what I think. Do it for the right purpose also. Don't forget why you do it. So at the end of the day, you go to bed and you know that all the dogs or cats or whatever you want to rescue are healthy and, and you're doing a great job. And don't let your you know, sponsors or donors, don't let them down. Don't let the dogs down. Don't let them down. Don't let the staff down. So be realistic. And I, as I said, there's colleagues of mine, they, don't, they do a good job, but they have no idea about how to run it. 
you know, you look at Soul Dog Foundation, which is I'm looking up to. I never met them. I never been there, but I met them a few of the uh, of the people who work in Soul Dog Foundation, and they're doing a great job. John is doing a great job. But again, it's they run it as a business. They have merchandise, and it, it's that. Yeah, that's so true too. The part where you said to tell the journey, because I I donate to a few organizations, and I love seeing the updates. I love seeing the progress at which that pet's getting treatment. It just it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you're right that you invested in that pet's future. That you're actually seeing like the pro- the progress of his treatment. That makes sense. I think that's so true. I love that. I do think that you know not everyone can do what I do, but everybody can do something. Like if you don't have money to share my posts, you can talk to your friends about what we are doing. You can donate money. You donate for six months, and then in six months' time, you see a post of me saying we don't have any food. Oh, how come? Why don't you have any food that you should have food for the dogs? I mean, this is the food and water is probably the most important. Otherwise, they will die. And um, yeah, deliver what you promise always to end to the dogs and the staff and the people that follow you, donate. People want to have, as I said, if you don't deliver what you have promised, they will move on to another place. Right. I mean, I, I don't even need to bet. I know that a majority of rescues, they rely overwhelmingly on donations. I mean, there are, it's very few and far between a, a rescue that can depend on the merchandise that they sell or something like, like, like actual merchandise, like shirts and things. So I love that idea of, cause it, it does, I think it has the knee jerk reaction of feeling cold to say your animals are a product, but at the same time, that means you need to show how well you care for them and you need to show why people should continue donating. Um, and that's how you really do get faithful followers. That's um, So in, at the end of the day, it's definitely not cold. I mean, I feel like even thinking about like farmers, like a really great farmer is not going to like not tend to the soil and, and not care for their plants. They're going to spend all their time out there and doing whatever they can and, and promoting that product in that in the best way possible. So... I definitely love what you're saying there. Yeah, and I just want to thank Cuddly because being on, on your platform helps a lot. If you compare to, let's say, under fundraising platforms like GoFundMe, GoWetFunding, there are so many. Hey, I want to have a new bicycle. I want to do this. But here is only about animals, and it helps us a lot. I mean, we're glad. I mean, with 700 dogs, or I'm not even sure if you have cats or other animals, too. <laughs> We do rescue a few cats and we don't have any space here. So they stay in our head office. I have two staff staying there and one of them is a cat lady. So she gets them. She has 16 cats now. So we, we do have, uh, speaking about, the, as I said, the loss in 40% of donations, but we have uh, expenses that is not lost 40% in expenses per month. But we have about 1 million baht per month. That is $30,000 a month in expenses. So we do a thousand dollars every day. And that's hard to find sometimes. So right now we are actually digging into the emergency fund and I don't like that. I can imagine they're taking care of so many dogs that it, that, that seems like a realistic number to me. I, I would almost think that it'd be more just because you have so many. Let's say like this, I, take the, I don't know your salary amount in, in America, but let's say a million baht per month could pay if you have minimum salary, which is, oh, hello. And he, we have uh, so a million baht will be 100 minimum paid workers in Thailand, 100 staff. 
So $30,000 in America could pay off how many? How much is an average salary in America? $1,500 a month? $2,003? Well, let's say you work in a I don't know, McDonald's. What's, what's minimum wage? Minimum wage is uh, $14 an hour right now. In California, we're getting into dangerous territory. Let's say like $2,000 a month. So you can pay off 15 staff and I pay off 100 staff here for that money. So you see the difference. So it's a lot of money here. It's a lot. A million. That's a lot. Yeah. Wow. And are most of your donors from, from outside of Thailand or do you have a lot of contributors that are right in your own backyard? <laughs> we, have, we have around, well, let's say in a, in a normal situation without the COVID would be 50% Thai people, 25% from America, maybe 15 from Sweden and the rest, Canada, Australia, Europe. So Thailand, America, Sweden. That's amazing. I sort of didn't imagine it being that way. I sort of thought it was going to be from all over outside of Thailand, but I love that that people have a heart for their own animals. <laughs> yeah, they, they should have, of course. It's their dogs. But this is also about how you communicate with the audience. As I said, I have 400,000 followers on the Facebook page. We have 50,000 on Instagram. And I do a lot of, I work with statistics. That's the big tool for me. So I can see when to post, how to post, who's my biggest group of followers. My biggest group of followers are females between 25 and 45 living in America and Thailand. And that adds up to almost 60% of my followers. So you need to approach them differently. This is, about, this is about business, how you use the stats, the tools, and how to, to uh, post that so people get want to help. So I, when I work here now, as we live in Thailand, I operate in Thailand, this is Thai dogs, I concentrate most of the time for the Thai people. That's the best, that, that's the biggest source we have, and I work on that. So the rest will be bonus. You know, so let's say Swedish people, as I'm, I'm, I raised up there and... and Many people know me there, so that's maybe the bonus, but we live on that. We need that as the emergency fund. So I hope people don't under, I hope people don't get this wrong. But this is you know how to how to how to function and it's a responsibility for me to make sure that we have the funds. If people were listening and say, Oh yeah, he's only a businessman. Yeah, I am. And you have to, because you will get mad at me. In, in six months' time, when I scream for money and we don't have money for food and I let the dogs out running on the streets again, then you would get more pissed off on me than I'm talking like this. And I think people would understand this. Absolutely. And I mean, I love everything you're saying about harnessing your own metrics and being strategic about how you're posting and who, like knowing who you're talking to as well. I mean, everything you're saying makes absolute business sense. And of course, the better business you do, the more animals you can help. So really everything you're doing is, is all for the good of everyone. I mean, I need to point out also that all our, our staff get a salary. So nobody's working for free. And uh, some people have asked me, do they work on a volunteer basis? I said, no, these people have families. They need to eat. They pay, you know, have a car. I need to put in gasoline. And I get a salary and Chris get a salary. I mean, 52 if I didn't have a salary, I couldn't do this. I had to stop and open my restaurant again, and then I couldn't concentrate so much on this. So, of course, we got salary. Lord, I mean, if you're working from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m., 
they're, they're really getting their money's worth if they're donating to you. <laughs> well, so, I mean, with so many animals that come into your care, is, are there a couple of stories that have really stuck out to you? I did send a dog to America in 2016 in December. Uh, his name was Milo. I posted about him a few times. He lives in, now he's, they live in Flagstaff now. And he was rescued when he was six months old. He had a severe demodex. He was just cracking up. His skin was just a mess. And we took him in and he got a so nice transformation. And uh, he's living a best life with Meadow and the family in Flagstaff. I, I was there two years ago and a dog sit. I did a dog sit for the family. So that, that's one outstanding story. We have many others, but he's probably the one that stood out the most. That's so sweet. And to fly in a, just to be a dog sitter, that's pretty amazing. You obviously have a great connection with him. Well, and then do you have uh, personal pets as well? Or are, the, are your 700 rescues enough? I have, no, I have 18 dogs. And uh, so when I sleep, I have about four or five dogs in the bed at the same time when I sleep. It's a, it's a mess. I, I, I try to, you know, adjust my legs and body. And also, but it, it works fine. We understand each other. It's been this for years. Amazing. Well, I know you have a lot going on. I mean, you've got a, a roof being put up outside for the dogs and a lot happening here. So we'll wind down a little bit, but we do have some kind of fun questions. This is going to be so hard for you to pick, though, with that many dogs to choose from. What are your top three favorite pet names? Can I name all my 18? Okay, so it's toffee, pui, flower, coconut, cork, dam, rosy, love, cafe, cow, ito, puppy, samli, kautung. I forgot someone. They're going to kill me. He, he was full out from the shelter when we took over the shelter in 2017, and he was standing in, in, a, in a corner and he couldn't eat. He was just paralyzed, like scared. And, and we took him out and he, he ate like three big bowls of food the first time. And I took him to the foster home and he was really bullied there. So I took him home to my house. He's lying here. He's about 12 years old now. I was 16. She's here. When I go to sleep, we put out small blankets and, and beds all around my house. I have a simple house. It's two big rooms a walking closet and a toilet and an outside kitchen where we prepare the food for the dogs. We boil meat uh, every day and with different flavors. So that's a simple house I have and they space, not many furniture at all. I don't have, they eat my furniture, sofas, especially sofas. They eat them. We do have dry food and rice and we mix it with boiled meat with different flavors. It can be salmon, grilled chicken, black pepper, pork, whatever. So that's his daily we change. And we feed these dogs twice a day on the streets. We feed them once a day. What is one trick one of your dogs has taught you? Uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm half dog already. So they treat me how to be nice. Treat me how to be nice and how to live in the moment and not drill about the past. That they, they, they taught me that. That's so true. They're, they're the best at that. They're just like, why don't you just play now? It's playtime. Okay, and then if you had one, if you had to pick one life motto, what would it be? Well, I have two. It's always deliver what you promise and do it nice and do it twice. Amazing. Well, yeah, thank you again for, for chatting with us. I know your day is just getting started for us and it's um, 
all the lights are now off in my house and it's pitch black. I look like I'm just in the darkness, but I feel like we're, we've learned so much and um, I'm really excited for us to continue working together for sure. And um, maybe by next year you'll have 1400 dogs. <laughs> Probably in three months because we are expanding now and we can take in another hundred dogs. We probably have 800 in three months. That's amazing. And all being cared for as, as well as they are, that's incredible. Something to be very proud of. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. It was so inspiring to speak to Michael about how he runs his rescue like a business by showing his donors the happy, healthy dogs he creates and why supporting local animal rescues means so much to him. If you want to learn more about the man that rescues dogs, can check our show notes or our blog at cuddly.com. And remember to rate, like, and subscribe this podcast and be sure to follow Cuddly on all social platforms at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks guys.